0: SEP Fanfic Readings presents "A Thousand Words" by Olive Juice Twenty Eight. Chapter Fifty One: Decisions, Decisions. As per the headmistress' request, each of the eighth years had signed up for a time to meet with her for their exit interview. Some of them, like Neville, had a clear idea of what they wanted to do and had already outlined a plan to search their goal. Others, like Daphne, were uncertain about how to achieve their desired ends, when they knew they weren't likely to gain the support of their parents once they went home. Hermione had chosen one of the very last time slots available, much to the surprise of every single one of her friends. This was due in part to the fact that she still wasn't entirely sure what her next steps should be once she left the comforting stability of the castle, and partly because she viewed the conversation as a definitive sign that her days at her beloved school were coming quickly to an end. That was a thought she pushed aside vehemently, as it immediately brought a fresh wave of tears any time it popped up, and she refused to spend the last two months of her school career wallowing in gloomy sentiments. When Draco's turn with the formidable headmistress came, he entered her office to find her seated behind her desk, but with four chairs before her, three of which were already occupied. Minister Shacklebolt, Professor Weasley, and Harry all turned to greet him with friendly smiles when he arrived, and Harry gave him a wink and a nod as if to reassure him that this was all on the up-and-up, He took a seat in the empty chair between Bill and Harry, and looked expectantly between McGonagall and Kingsley. "'Well, Mr. Malfoy, as you know, the time has come to discuss your options once you have completed your eighth year and have taken your N.E.W.T. exams. I have asked the minister to join us, since he is directly responsible for making any decisions regarding your probation, and, Mr. Potter, since he, as your court-appointed liaison, makes sure those terms are adhered to.' She peered at all four of them over her spectacles— and he wondered if even the minister felt reprimanded, even though she had simply been stating the facts. Draco nodded in understanding, now more curious than ever as to what Bill was doing here, but knew his precise and detail-oriented headmistress would tell him all he needed to know in due time. She glanced down at the parchment in front of her, and returned to Kingsley. Minister, would you like to begin? Thank you, Minerva. Shacklebolt's deep voice resonated around the space. Mr. Malfoy, Draco, if I may nodded immediately, knowing the minister would call him whatever he wanted. "'The terms of your three-year probation state that you were to complete your schooling, which you are very close to doing. You were also sentenced to two more years of house arrest, and are allowed no international travel. Your domestic travel is supposed to be undertaken only with the accompaniment of your liaison.' Here he paused and nodded at Harry, who blinked and gave it a tilt of his head in acknowledgment. "'As you can imagine,' Kingsley continued, This poses a bit of a problem when it comes to securing a job for you. Would I be correct in assuming that you do not wish to remain at the manor for the next two years until your probation is complete? Yes, sir, that is correct, Draco responded quickly. While he didn't mind going home for breaks, the thought of being cooped up in the estate for months on end made his skin itch, not to mention the fact that he would only be able to leave if Harry was available to take him somewhere." so it would seem the best course of action would be to take a position that would not require daily travel," Kingsley stated matter-of-factly. Draco let that thought sink into his brain, and while it made sense, he sincerely doubted anyone in the wizarding world would want to hire a former Death-Eater who was still on probation in any capacity, much less for some sort of live-in situation. He voiced his concerns to the room at large, and if he wasn't much mistaken, Professor McGonagall's eyes took on a glint of humor, and her mouth twitched as if she was hiding a smile. "'Professor Weasley, would you like to explain?' McGonagall gestured to the defense teacher, who shifted in his seat to fully face Draco. "'This isn't public knowledge yet, and won't be for a few weeks, but Flora and I are expecting our first child. The red-haired wizard couldn't contain the smile that spread across his scarred features. Draco had not been anticipating that bit of news, and was surprised but extremely happy for the eldest Weasley. "'Congratulations!' he exclaimed sincerely and offered his hand, which Bill shook enthusiastically. "'Thanks, Draco. That's why I'm here in this meeting. I'm going to need someone to step in for me once the baby is born. I'll be taking a short leave of absence, and I'd like to entrust my classes to someone I know can handle them.' Draco stared at him dumbfounded. "'Me?' Bill chuckled. "'Yes, you.' "'You're incredibly intelligent, Draco, and a natural leader. "'I think you'd take to this like a Grindelow to a lake.' "'The pale blonde continued to gape at his teacher. "'Quite sure this was some sort of misunderstanding. "'However, Bill continued on in a very succinct fashion. "'What I'd like is for you to become my assistant from September 1st "'until Fleur gets close to her due date, "'which we are calculating to be sometime mid-November. "'You would then take all lessons until I returned at the start of the second term, "'which we would then co-teach until the end of the year.' I'll have all the course material and lesson outlines prepared in advance. He smiled at Draco, who was still gaping at him, completely gobsmacked by this turn of events. You're staying on, then? Draco managed to ask. I thought you were only here for one year. Bill's smile grew even wider. I've decided I quite like teaching, and the quieter, more predictable life it affords. Plus, now that we'll be bringing a baby into the mix, I'm not too keen to be so far away. Carson knows he can consult with me any time, but I have no immediate plans to return to the curse-breaking full-time. The younger wizard could clearly understand that decision, and was glad to know the eldest Weasley would be sticking around. As he let this new information sink in, the headmistress cleared her throat, drawing the attention back to her. I also have recently been informed that Madame Hooch will be retiring at the end of this year. She has maintained a part-time position here at Hogwarts since first-years are the only students to take flying lessons and all Quidditch matches are held on the weekends. If you think you can manage to take on her responsibilities, as well as though as Professor Weasley's assistant, it would create a full-time position for you here at the castle, which would provide living quarters and all the other amenities available to the faculty and staff. McGonagall fixed him with her beady stare, and watched as he mulled this information over for a few seconds. Draco was overwhelmed, to say the least. The realization that they were offering him a job— That they wanted him on board meant more to him than he could express. He did not take the idea lightly and understood it to be an outward display of the tremendous amount of faith and trust that had had in him. He turned to look at Harry as if for confirmation that this was actually happening. Harry was grinning from ear to ear. He knew his former rival had no idea this was coming, and also knew how far it would go to boost his confidence and show him that the changes he'd been making all year had not gone unnoticed. Green eyes met Gray, and both young men nodded in agreement. "'I can't thank you enough,' Draco paused to clear his throat. "'I don't even know where to begin.' All four of the individuals around him were smiling in encouragement and understanding, even Professor McGonagall, who rarely showed such emotion. "'This is an incredible offer. Amazing, really. It's more than I could have hoped for, and I am honored, truly humbled, that you would want me to take something like this on.' He forced himself to meet each pair of eyes, determined to show them that they were making a good investment in him. I can't imagine a more perfect opportunity. He allowed himself the grin he'd been holding back, and was met with a small round of applause that caused his cheeks to burn red. "'Excellent!' McGonagall announced. "'There will, of course, be details to iron out the weeks to come. But I am very pleased you'll be joining our staff in the coming year.' She nodded once at him, and then once at Kingsley, who was clearly meant to follow up. "'When the term is officially over in June, I will need you to come to the Ministry to sign some paperwork and go over specifics. You can set a time with Harry to do that.' The minister nodded at the raven-haired wizard, who was still grinning smugly over the recent development. "'Right then,' Bill slapped his hand down on his legs. "'Over the next month or so we'll meet to discuss the syllabus for each class, so you can spend some time preparing over the summer.' He rose from his seat and offered his hand to Draco, who stood and shook it eagerly. "'I'd appreciate it if you didn't say anything yet about Fleur. She wants to wait until the end of the month, when her first trimester will officially be over.' Draco nodded, more than happy to comply." "'Thanks, Professor Weasley,' he said sincerely. "'Ah, you can call me Bill. We are colleagues now, after all.' He winked at the tall blonde, excused himself, and headed out the door. Draco sank back into his chair and looked between the minister and the headmistress for further instruction. "'I'll draft the contract,' Kingsley said to McGonagall. "'And I'll send an owl once you're back home in June,' he addressed Draco, who nodded in understanding. "'Well, I think that's all settled, then,' the headmistress stood, and the three wizards followed suit.' "'Congratulations, Mr. Malfoy.' She held out her hand, which he shook firmly, and then turned to do the same with the minister. "'Thank you again, sir,' he said sincerely, knowing full well that he could have simply been forced to stay home on house arrest for the next two years, and feeling very grateful that that was not to be the case. "'You're welcome.' Kingsley's dark eyes crinkled as a kind smile tipped up his mouth. "'You've already made a good on your promise to do something positive this year. I'm quite proud of you.' He clapped a hand on Draco's shoulder and continued, "'I look forward to hearing all about your first foray into the wonderful world of teaching.' He chuckled deeply, bowed to McGonagall, and told Harry he'd see him back at the office before sweeping out the door. Draco and Harry bid farewell to the headmistress a second later, and started making their way back down the corridor. "'I can't believe it,' Draco murmured, a grin slowly spreading across his face. "'I walked in there thinking McGonagall was going to tell me I'd just be stuck at the manor till my probation was over.' Or at best, that the minister would have wrangled some sort of low-level desk job so that you could keep tabs on me. Harry snorted at that. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you would have loved that. Both wizards chuckled as they came to a halt at the stairs leading down towards the entrance hall. I told Hagrid I'd stop by and see his new batch of Nifflers, since I didn't get a chance to after the memorial service. Apparently he also got a cabbage the size of a carriage wheel. Sounds fascinating, Draco snickered and held out his hand to his friend. Thanks, Potter. I know you had a say in their decision today, and I appreciate it more than you know. Harry shook the offered hand and smirked. You'll still have to put up with weekly visits for me, you know. The tall blonde heaved a long, theatrical sigh. I'll never be rid of you, will I? Probably not, mate, Harry snickered as he bounded down the steps, leaving Draco to make his way back to the room with a smile on his face. A week after Draco's exciting announcement regarding his future plans— Hermione found herself across the same desk from her beloved professor. She had tried—really she had—to put together a solid plan for herself after leaving Hogwarts, but nothing seemed right. Nothing felt like it fit, and she was rather frustrated and overwhelmed by the time her appointment rolled around. She was so very pleased for her favorite wizard. He had been bursting to tell her his news when he would returned to the room, and she shared in his elation completely. A small, wistful part of her wished she could return to the castle in the fall as well, but she honestly had no desire to teach. She loved her first years, and she was more than willing to help her classmates when they got stuck on an assignment, but the thought of being in front of students day after day, or having to monitor behaviors and dole out detentions, did not appeal to her in the slightest. The only position she could even remotely see herself taking in the school would be that of the librarian, and she doubted Madame Pince had any plans to give up her domain in the near future." She had listened to the other housemates talk excitedly about their plans, and part of her was envious of how sure they were about what came next. She had never considered herself to be indecisive or lacking in direction, and it was a most unsettling feeling. Everyone expected her to have these big goals, to have a ten-step agenda, to know, but the truth was that she didn't. She had no idea. Her frustration must have started to become obvious because her friends stopped asking about it and even went so far as to change the subject at meals so as not to increase her stress level. Draco had tried to help, and offered several suggestions, and had listened to her ramble endlessly, or argue with herself, or second-guess everything she'd just said, all the while maintaining a comfortable and supportive stance on the topic. More often than not, he would let her vent for several minutes before pulling her into a hug and reminding her that it would all work out. She appreciated it and loved him for it, but it still didn't solve anything— with hopes that the headmistress might be able to give her some guidance, Hermione sat expectantly across the polished antique desk and waited for the older wish to finish organizing her parchments in front of her. "'Well, Miss Granger, it seems the time has come,' McGonagall began, her voice much softer and less crisp than usual as she took in the young woman across from her. The curly-haired witch would forever be one of her favorite students, and she was more than a little sad to see her go. Before she could utter another word, however— she was dismayed to see tears welling in Hermione's eyes, and her lower lip began to tremble. The petite brunette was mortified, and looked down at her hands which were twisting her robes in her lap as if trying to tie them in knots. She struggled to get her emotions under control, taking several deep breaths as tears escaped down her cheeks, but it was all in vain. Professor McGonagall rose from her seat and came swiftly around the desk, pulling another chair upright alongside Hermione and wrapping her arms around her. She let the younger witch cry, knowing nothing she could say at the moment would erase the internal battle clearly taking place, though she had an inkling what was behind it. After several minutes, the storm subsided, and Hermione shifted slightly. The headmistress handed her a handkerchief, which she accepted gratefully. My dear, would I be correct in assuming that you have undecided your path once you leave the school? She asked kindly, still keeping one arm around Hermione's shoulders. Hermione nodded and sniffed. Would that have anything to do with your uncertainty about your parents and your childhood home?' McGonagall recalled Kingsley saying the younger witch had decided not to sell the house in the wake of her failed attempts to restore her parents' memories, and that she chosen to wait until finishing her eighth year before taking any steps regarding that. Hermione nodded again, and wiped her eyes, finally raising her head and meeting the sympathetic gaze in her mentor. "'I just don't know what to do,' she admitted in a broken whisper. I feel that to sell the house is to give up hope that they will ever come back to me, and I just can't. I can't. She trailed off, and her sobs renewed as she was pulled back into the headmistress's embrace. Perhaps you should go see them again, McGonagall suggested quietly once Hermione's tears had subsided. Perhaps finding them still healthy and happy and content in their new life will bring you some peace, and it will help you decide what you wish to do next. She pulled back and looked the distraught witch clearly in the eye her normally stern gaze filled with compassion. I do not mean to pry, but it would be accurate to say that you are not under any financial strain at the moment. Hermione shook her head and took a deep, fortifying breath. No, I have a bit of my savings still left after our year on the run, and I haven't even touched the reward from the Ministry. The headmistress nodded decisively. Then I suggest you take the summer to check in on your parents and explore your options. If money is no issue, then there is no immediate need for you to sell the house. "'Give yourself some time to figure out what you want to do. "'It goes without saying that virtually any door will be open to you in the wizarding world. "'Your opportunities are truly endless.' "'She smiled warmly at the courageous young woman and patted her hand. "'I have no doubt that whatever you choose, you will do a marvellous job, "'and will take tremendous impact on the lives of others.' "'Hermione gave her a grateful, if watery, smile and nodded. "'Thank you, Professor. "'I do think I need to see them again.' and I know I want to do something to improve relations between humans and non- or part-human magical beings. I'm just not sure what that will look like yet. See there, you already have a bit of a plan,' McGonagall replied encouragingly. "'There's no rule that says you have to leave this castle with your entire future set in stone. In fact, I think sometimes we rush into those life decisions rather carelessly, and when it would be better to take the time to consider those steps along the way are just as important as the desired destination.' The petite brunette sighed deeply, a sense of relief and hope bubbling onto the surface. She felt as if a weight had been lifted, as if she'd been given permission to take a bit of a scenic route instead of the most-traveled one, and she appreciated it greatly. "'Thank you, Professor,' she said earnestly as she clasped the older witch's hands. "'I needed to hear that.' McGonagall nodded, and a bit of her firm demeanour settled back into place. "'I'm pleased to have been able to help.' Both women stood, and Hermione turned towards the door before the headmistress spoke again. "'I would very much like to know how it all goes, and what you eventually decide to do.' She was still watching her student intently, and was met with a genuine smile and a nod of curly head. "'Of course, Professor. I promise I'll keep in touch.' The door closed softly behind Hermione, and McGonagall returned to her seat on the other side of the desk with a small smile still in place.